Philippians chapter 1, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 12 through verse 18. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the great truth of Your holy word, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that Your Spirit would be with us to give us understanding and insight as Your word goes forth. We do pray that it would find within our own hearts that rich, fertile soil, that will bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. We ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. There seems to be no shortage of bad news these days. I think even this past week, a a massive hurricane left a a path of destruction across Cuba against a large swath of Florida, and of course now is working its way up the eastern seaboard. The economy is still pretty much of a wreck. The prices of food and fuel are all high due to uh, increased inflation. We look around and we see our nation and our culture continues its slide into immorality and and utter godlessness. And then we add to this, of course, all the bad news that we deal with, maybe on a more personal level. Maybe we're struggling with health issues or financial issues or uh, troubles in relationships, stress at work or stress at school, and and on and on we could go with with all the, the bad news that's out there. It seems like we're on bad news overload. And we're left longing for even a hint of some good news. Certainly the good news, though, is is out there, and and it happens all the time. But the negativity of the bad news can be so overwhelming that the good news just gets swallowed up, and so there's not really much time to savor it. Well, with so much bad news and so little good news, 
we can easily fall prey then to discouragement, to depression, and even a despair. But our passage this morning offers a rather unique challenge. What if we could look at the bad news in a different way that would actually encourage us and and challenge us rather than discourage us and beat us down? What if we viewed bad news through a different lens than we normally do, giving us a different perspective? What if we looked and saw the good news about the bad news? Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Is it even possible? Well, indeed it is. But it's only possible if we view the bad news through the lens of faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the Gospel informs us that God is a a sovereign God who is in control of, of all things. And this sovereign God has a plan that He's working out for our good and for His glory. And so this is true, and and certainly we confess and, and believe that it is. Well, then we're confronted, when we're, when we're confronted with bad news, we must learn to see it through the lens of faith. To see it as an opportunity for God's plan to pro- progress in, in a way that we didn't expect. But we know and we trust and we can believe that it will still have the very same result that God intended. Our good, the good of those who love God, and of course the ultimate glory of God above all things. Well, This is what Paul does here as he writes to the Philippians and shares news about himself, about certain preachers and, and events happening in Rome, and about the spread of the gospel. But what seems like bad news, Paul views through faith and he sees much good news. First, let's consider the news about Paul. Paul's in prison. This is bad news. Right? His trial is done and, and now he awaits the final verdict and his fate. Will he be found guilty of some high crime, which would then, of course, ultimately mean certain death? Or will he be vindicated and released? The wait would be grueling with each passing day, wondering whether this was going to be his last day. And it was especially trying for Paul because he, of course, was innocent. And yet he still had to endure the false accusations And of course the humiliation of imprisonment. But the bad news actually goes beyond Paul's personal fate. Because he's in chains, his mission and ministry would be greatly limited. Remember, of course, after uh, over the last uh, several years, maybe at least ten years or more, Paul has traveled hundreds of thousands of miles as a missionary, going to different towns and cities all over the Mediterranean region, proclaiming the gospel and planting churches. Well, now that he's in, in sitting in a prison in Rome, well, suddenly this great mission work has, has suddenly been brought to, to an end. 
And the Philippian believers, well, they're obviously worried about Paul as well. They love and respect Paul as uh, the love and respect that he has for them is surely reciprocated as they've been, again, supporting his ministry right from the beginning. And so concerned were they that they actually sent Epaphroditus to to go and to encourage Paul and to, to minister to him. They like to remember how Paul was mistreated when he first came to Philippi and how he was unjustly thrown into prison. They certainly would be dismayed that he's now experiencing this all over again. They may even be wondering how Paul's imprisonment could possibly be part of God's plan. Right? Why, why would God allow this great missionary, one of the greatest missionaries uh, uh, of the time, why would God allow him to be thrown in prison? Certainly there was much more work to be done. But no, Paul sits in prison. And so the Philippians have been hearing nothing but bad news about Paul. And it's likely discouraging them and perhaps even causing some to doubt about God's goodness, about God's power and might to save and deliver. Now isn't this the great temptation that we face when we hear bad news? Maybe a young, talented life is cut short. A faithful friend is is stricken with cancer. A father loses his job and the only source of income for his family. A natural disaster devastates a city or a whole region. A loved one becomes enslaved to to drugs, alcohol, or sexual sin. Doors for ministry in certain places have suddenly been closed shut. When we hear such things, we wonder, God, what are you doing? What what, what are you doing here? Why are these things happening? If you're truly a, a good God, then why did you allow this bad thing to happen? If you truly are so powerful, why didn't you do something in order to prevent all this? And so bad news often stirs up doubts and disbelief as well as despair and discouragement. Well, the Philippian believers were likely struggling with these questions about Paul and his ministry, which is why Paul now writes to them to reassure them that this bad news which they're hearing about him, while true and and certainly unpleasant, Paul's not enjoying being in prison, but he's writing to them to tell them, look, this really isn't bad news at all. From Paul's perspective of faith, it's actually good news. And this is what he declares in verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He wants them to be better informed about these things as he challenges them to look at the situation differently. Right? His imprisonment hasn't been an obstacle to the gospel going forth. No, in fact, it's just the opposite is happening. It has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. 
Now the term Paul uses here for furtherance or advance or progress, depending on your translation, is a military term. And remember that Paul uses several military terms in this letter because Philippi was a a Roman colony that had been settled by retired military veterans and retired soldiers. They had come and established this colony in, in Philippi. And this term furtherance or advance refers to the scouts who went ahead of the troops and it was their responsibility to remove obstacles, to clear paths and build bridges so that the advancing army could move ahead more easily. And so Paul's imprisonment has done just this. It's paved the way for the gospel's advance. Obstacles have been removed to create more opportunities, not less, for the proclamation of the gospel. And he mentions two key areas where this is evident. First, any obstacle of suspicion or hostility on the part of unbelievers has been removed. And in fact, bridges have been built even to the hearts of rough and tough Roman soldiers. As Paul shares in verse 13, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now, the palace guards were those soldiers who were entrusted with the oversight of the prisoners in in Caesar's palace. And these would typically be hardened men known for their cruelty. But Paul had been able to make a connection with them. You see, Paul was under constant watch. In fact, it's very likely that he was actually chained to the guard watching over him. And the, the way it typically worked is that every six hours, these guards would, would change shifts. <clears throat> and so you consider, then, being one of those guards. Consider all that these guards would have been exposed to during that shift. They would have overheard Paul's teaching as, as uh, visitors came and, and went. They would have heard Paul dictate his letters to the various churches that he was writing. And they would have heard, of course, him singing and giving praise to God, even as we think back to Paul's experience in the jail in Philippi. And that's exactly what they were doing. And the the centurion in charge heard them singing. All the other prisoners heard them singing. Well, at least four different soldiers would witness these things at least once a day, perhaps several times a week. And you think about the impact of that. The impact of the Word of God being proclaimed by Paul and these soldiers, these guards, just have to sit there and listen to it. They may have been curious about these things. They may have asked Paul questions about his faith and and about the Gospel. And then, then of course, after their shift was over, well, then they would go and they would might share with others as they go home about this very curious prisoner that they watched that day and they told him all that, that this man had to say. And so it wasn't then long before news of Paul and his imprisonment and his cause would actually spread. And eventually many others became aware of the circumstances of his situation The fact that he had committed no real crime, but was actually suffering unjustly for the sake of this Jesus of Nazareth. They might then begin to wonder and ask further questions. 
What kind of message does this guy preach? There must be something wonderful about this Jesus for whom he is willing to suffer. What gives him the strength to endure such injustice and suffering with joy and gladness instead of seething rage and a thirst for revenge? Well, their curiosity about these things would then stir them up to learn more. And perhaps they would be encouraged to seek out other Christians that they may know or hear other people talking about these things and they inquire them to give a reason for the hope that's in them. Tell me, what? how can this man be this way? You, you seem to share what he believes. How, how can you be this way? How can he be filled with such joy in the midst of suffering? And just like that, many other people had heard the gospel. And for many of them, their hearts would be turned to its truth. And this all because Paul was in prison. And so that's one obstacle removed. His mission work didn't cease. It continued just in a different way. Well, second obstacle that was removed so that the gospel could advance was that the believers in Rome were also affected by Paul's witness. Right? They saw his boldness. They saw his joy and courage in the midst of suffering. And, and they themselves were then spurred on to imitate him. In verse 14, And most of the brethren of the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now we know that a church had already been established before Paul arrived in Rome. And he had promised to come to them. And they certainly were looking forward to his arrival with great anticipation. But when he arrived, he did so as a prisoner in chains. Now this may have initially been an embarrassment to them. And it may have have filled them with fear since Paul was in chains for proclaiming the gospel. They may have been wondering, well, well, what's going to happen to me if if I persist in preaching and uh, teaching and, and evangelizing? But as time passed, as they heard of Paul's bold words, spoken in his defense, how he fearlessly approached suffering and even the possibility of death, how he dealt with all this bad news with great joy and thanksgiving because he considers it an honor to suffer for the cause of Christ. All this spurred on these other believers and challenge them to be bolder in their own proclamation of the gospel. They would imitate Paul as Paul sought to imitate Christ. And so again, the bad news of Paul's imprisonment, when viewed this way through, through the lens of faith and the progress of the gospel, will actually turn out to be good news, as the gospel was not hindered at all but was actually marching on with great boldness as these other believers were strengthened by Paul's example. But there's something significant in verse 14 that we should make note of. So far in, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we've commented and made a note of Paul's all-inclusive use of the word all. Right? He's used it several times in the opening verses of this letter. Talking about all the believers and all the people in Philippi. 
But here we see a limitation. In verse 14, he says, most. Most. Not all. Most are trusting in the Lord and speaking with courage and boldness. Now, if most are doing this, well, then it means some are doing something different. Right? That's what most means and implies. So there's now some bad news about the preachers and proclaimers of the gospel. Some are not being bold. Some remain timid and overcome with fear. They fear man more than they fear God. They don't want to stir up controversy and they're afraid of offending people. Now, of course, this is an ever-increasing problem in a society, in our own society, that increasingly wants to criminalize thoughts and speech that don't match up with the politically correct standard. Boldness and courage are needed to speak the truth of the gospel today. But there becomes a great temptation to give in, to compromise, to fear and to cowardice. And in some instances, it's already taken place as what goes forth from many pulpits only tickles the ears of the listeners and and the hard truths of God's Word and the moral absolutes of, of God's law are shied away from and they're ignored. And we aren't far from a time when such pressure to do the same will be great. It's already here in many respects. This is certainly a problem. But it isn't the only bad news that Paul has about some of the believers in Rome. For there are others who are boldly proclaiming the gospel, but their motives aren't pure. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. And then verse 16, they preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. Now, first we have to note here that these preachers aren't spouting off false doctrine. That is, they're proclaiming the gospel and they're preaching Christ as the way to salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And so that's good. They've got the right message. It's certainly much better than those who have caved into fear and are not saying anything at all. But what isn't good with these is that they're preaching out of impure motives and ultimately revealing themselves to be hypocrites because their message is contradicting their motives. First, they preach out of envy and strife. That is, out of a sense of jealousy and and competition. And it's likely that it's Paul they're jealous of. And it's Paul that they see themselves in competition with. And as we noted, there was a a church already established before Paul arrived. And, And these preachers at that time, well, they were big fish in a small pond. But suddenly things change when this renowned Apostle Paul comes to town. He was he suddenly getting all the attention. He was exerting influence and drawing the crowds. Kind of reminds us of the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus when Jesus came on the scene. A very similar thing. And of course, this, even though Paul was all in was in chains, they were jealous of Paul. And secondly, Paul reveals really the deeper issue that as they preached the gospel with these motives, it was clear that their chief concern wasn't to bring glory to Christ, but to make a name for themselves. 
so that they might receive the praise and honor of men. This was their selfish ambition. They wanted to be admired as eloquent preachers. They wanted to be the headline speakers at all the churches and at all the conferences. They wanted to be the best that they can be. But not for the glory of Christ. But for their own fame and fortune. And this is truly a huge issue today. We have a lot of these celebrity pastors and, and preachers. And certainly not all have these deliberate uh, false motives. But sadly, many fall into that. They don't start out that way, but they fall into it. And they end up preaching the gospel, which is good, but it's all about exalting themselves and advancing their own ministries. Well, this is what is happening in Rome, and, and Paul interrupted their plans. So we see the third issue with these preachers is that they sought to do harm to Paul and undermine his ministry. So here they are preaching the gospel. They're trying to do it because they're trying to puff themselves up and and become popular, as it were. But at the same time, they're also going to try to undermine Paul and, and his ministry. Again, all the while he's in prison, where it was difficult for him to even defend himself. They saw his imprisonment as an opportunity to advance their own selfish motives and discredit Paul. They might say something like, look, look at this so-called apostle. You know, he's an embarrassment. He's an embarrassment to the cause. Don't, don't go visit him or have anything to do with him because people are going to make the connection between you and this criminal and then your witness before everyone else is going to be destroyed because you're hanging out with this criminal in prison. Stay away from Paul. He's disgraced the church. He's disgraced Christ. He's disgraced us all. He's given us all a bad name. So whatever they're doing, they're trying to discredit the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Again, such selfish motives are a temptation for pastors and teachers today. And again, we see evidence of it all around. But... It's not just a temptation for pastors, but it's also a temptation for all believers within the church. You see, this was actually one of the great problems in the church in Corinth, right? Where some were envious of others because of the types of spiritual gifts which had been given. Right? So the ones who had lesser gifts were envious of those who had the greater gifts. They may have tried to undermine them and undermine their gifts, and undermine their influence, but then those who had the the greater gifts, well, they looked down upon those who had the lesser gifts, and said, well, who are you? I've got this greater gift. I'm special. And again, this was among the people, the believers, not just the officers in the church in Corinth. But what's interesting about Corinth is that when Paul writes to them, How does he open his letter? He writes to them and refers to them all as saints, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But see, then he goes on to rebuke their lack of love and compassion for one another. And so they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. They just need some correction. 
Well, this is kind of what's going on with the preachers in Rome. Though they have these impure motives, they're still brothers, at least as far as, at least at this point they are. Sometimes they, the selfish motives, they don't recover from that and they press headlong into false doctrine and false teaching. But here, at least for now, they're still brothers. They just need some correction. And that's what Paul was seeking to administer. And Paul, though, is writing now to the Philippians and telling them about these things really as a warning to the Philippians. Look, don't fall into the same trap. This is what's going on here. But don't fall into the same trap. And remember, one of the key points Paul emphasizes in this letter is that the Philippians would be of one mind, right? And that they would think of others' interests before their own and seek to serve and love one another first and foremost before serving themselves. (coughs) And so Paul is warning them to avoid this trap. If they pursue the ministry of the gospel with impure motives well, then there will be a great disruption in the unity of the congregation. And we don't know the reason for the conflict between the two women in chapter 4. Maybe this had something to do with it. Maybe they were (coughs) jealous of one another. (coughs) And of course, when you have that kind of disruption in the unity of a congregation, well, then it reflects badly on the witness to the community around you. Well, this is what was happening in Rome, and it was certainly bad news. But the good news is that this bad behavior was, first of all, just limited to only some. Paul is convinced that a, a few misguided bad apples won't spoil the whole basket. Because, again, most are preaching and proclaiming with boldness and truth, with pure motives. And Paul says, from goodwill and, and out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Their, their goodwill is toward Paul. They're not ashamed of his imprisonment. They love him. And they know the gifts that God has given him, and they've, they're thankful and they're appreciative of those gifts. They're not threatened by them. They clearly understand Paul's role in the ministry of the gospel. And they understand their own. They realize that they're on the same team working toward the same goal, but they just have different roles to play. They also seem to understand God's sovereignty. That though the Lord has a great plan for Paul, a plan that involves him defending the gospel before high officials, perhaps even before Caesar himself, they realize that Paul is going to be given opportunities that they likely won't have. And, and you know what? They're okay with this. Because they know and trust and believe that God has a plan for them as well. That God has opportunities for them for which they and, and not Paul will be called to go and to fill, fulfill. So they keep it all in the right perspective. They see their own role. They see their own purpose. And they're just happy and content. But of course it isn't just their love for Paul. More importantly, it's their love for Christ and the Gospel. They understand that in all things, Christ must have preeminence in their lives. That is, He must have the place of highest priority. And so seeking and serving Christ first, rather than themselves, is the duty that they've all been called to. 
their Christ-centered gospel focus is truly good news. And Paul rejoices in that. He's thankful that, yeah, though there are some who are missing the mark, but most of them are doing wonderfully. Most of them have a Christ-centered gospel focus and are being faithful with that. And that's good news. Because as we now see, this is the same focus Paul has and that we're challenged to have. Yes, Paul's in prison. And yes, some are proclaiming the gospel out of selfish ambition and and to do Paul further harm. And that's certainly bad news. And the believers may be tempted to be sad and discouraged and, and downcast, but Paul says, no, don't be. And he asks in verse 18, what then? That is, what should we do about it? How should we respond? Should we lose heart and just kind of wallow around in self-pity? No. Friends, turn it all around. Look at this bad news through the lens of faith and a Christ-centered gospel focus. You know what? Because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the gospel going forth and making progress. And Paul makes this clear. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul's basically saying, look, at, look, these things aren't going to bring me down and derail my purpose and mission. Because look at what's happening. Despite all the bad news, Christ is still being preached. With Paul's imprisonment and preachers driven by selfish ambition, the enemy, Satan, must be thinking that he's thwarting the gospel. But no, that's not the reality. No, the reality is that despite Paul being limited by chains, and despite other preachers having being limited by their false motives, the gospel isn't only going forth, but it's advancing at a rapid pace. God has a plan. And He will bring it about. Even sovereignly overruling Satan's assaults and the sins of others to accomplish it. That's what we're seeing here. This is Paul's Christ-centered gospel focus. Instead of dwelling on his suffering and the injustice of it all, Paul views this bad news through through the lens of faith and sees that God is even able to use His suffering as a means for the gospel to go forth. The soldiers see this. The guards. And you know what? They're drawn in to believe. And most of the believers see it, and they're spurred on to preach with greater boldness. And even though some don't see it, they're still cowering in fear, and others are preaching out of envy and strife. There's no reason for discouragement. Because the gospel is still being professed and proclaimed by them. Beloved of God, this is the great challenge for us. As we seek to live as saints in Christ Jesus in the 21st century, we're challenged to view the bad news around us through the lens of faith. We're challenged in the midst of our own suffering, in the midst of tragedy and grief, even in the midst of Satan's assaults and the the sinful actions of others. We're challenged to view these bad news events as opportunities for the further progress 
and advance of the gospel. As the bad news comes rolling into our lives, we should be asking ourselves, how can I respond in a way that will bring glory to Christ? How can I show others the hope and comfort of the gospel during such times? How can I be a faithful witness even in the midst of my own personal suffering, pain, and sorrow? How can I remain Christ-centered and gospel-focused so that God is glorified in me and through me? Now I know this, this seems maybe idealistic and certainly hard and perhaps even a little crazy. Especially when the bad news affects you directly. And we know, it, and this is not to deny that, right? It's not to deny how much that bad news can hurt us. Things happen in our lives and disrupt our lives, and they cause real pain and real suffering to us. And it becomes then so easy, though, to get derailed and lose focus that we just get swallowed up by that bad news. And you just have no room to seemingly think about any kind of good news. But beloved of God, hasn't Jesus Christ, your Savior, promised to give you the grace and strength to endure such challenging and difficult times? Hasn't He promised to equip you with wisdom through His Word and the Holy Spirit to see with eyes of faith and discern what is good, true, and right? Hasn't He promised that all things indeed will work out for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose? Hasn't He taken the greatest bad news there is? Your sin, your guilt before God, your just deserved condemnation and death. Hasn't Jesus taken these things upon Himself and in return given you the greatest good news there is? The forgiveness of your sins. Peace and reconciliation with God. And eternal life in the glorious presence of God forever and ever and ever. Indeed He has. He's promised you all these things. And He freely and graciously gives them to you who believe in Him. Jesus Christ has secured your salvation. And He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He has done these things so that in all things and at all times, even and especially in those times when you're uh, bad news, when you're suffering and your pain and you're filled with sorrow and grief, He has given you these promises and accomplished these things for you so that God alone would be glorified in you and through you to the praise of His name. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for Your reminder to us and Your word to us And Father, we are mindful of the sinfulness of this world in which we live, of our own sin, and the bad news that comes upon us daily in a variety of ways. 
But Father, instead of getting swallowed up by that bad news and the negativity, let us keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. May we be focused upon you and your glory and seeking the furtherance of the gospel. And that we would view the bad news as opportunities, as other opportunities to further spread the gospel, to be a greater witness to those around us. As people look upon us to see, well, how do these people endure suffering? And that as they look, they would see the glory of Christ shining in us and through us. Father, we just pray that you would give us such boldness. We know the temptation to fear and shy away from hard truths is there, but we pray that you would keep us firm and that you would help us to be bold with these things. That we would truly be a congregation that stands firm in your truth and that we would be a true beacon of light and hope in this community and that by our witness, many would be turned to you and call upon your name in faith. But Lord, we also acknowledge that it begins with our own hearts. And as we reflect upon what Christ Jesus has done for us, we pray, O Lord, that you would truly have your spirit working in us, drawing us all closer to yourself, helping us to cling to these promises of your word, to confess and profess them in faith, that they are ours, that Christ died on the cross for me, for my sins. That he has forgiven me. And that we might walk in that truth. And that you might strengthen us and bless us in this life. Not for our good, not for our enjoyment in itself. But for your glory. That we can be your faithful instruments. To be used in a much greater way than maybe we're already being used. And so we pray for your blessing in these things. We thank you, O Lord, for your gift upon us, your grace and your mercy in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.